turned on here and ready to ready to go. If you would get your Bible tonight. Turn to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven. I'm going to preach on the first two words of Matthew seven. You know, judge not. Here we go. You know, no. <laughs> Matthew chapter seven. You see the uh, the new. Modern Christians, they take this whole chapter and they scribble everything out but those first two words and they just say, Judge not. That's Matthew chapter 7. No, no, no. We're going to start in verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. The Bible says this, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Let's pray. Amen. So tonight, we, uh, we're doing something a little different. I'd like to let you know what I'm, I'm preaching on. Of course, don't you know, I always say we're doing something different. Every night we're doing something different. But tonight, I'd like to go over in our Bible doctrines that are missed out the doctrines that are missed without a King James Bible. Because if you don't have this book, if you don't have the good tree, you're not going to get the good fruit. If you've got a corrupt tree, you're going to get evil fruit. That's what the Bible says. That's what we just went over. Notice who uses it. It says, beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. They say, okay, well, this is the word of God. Here's what the originals say. Here's what I, my interpretation is. Here's what a better rendering is. And it, It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. They come to you, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And Jesus says, if the tree is corrupt, the fruit's going to be evil. If the tree is good, the fruit's going to be good. We've got a good tree right here. You know what these pages are made out of? That's paper. That's the tree. Okay, we've got a good tree right here. And I'm going to tell you, let me give you some of the reasons that I'm doing this tonight. Because, it's, like I said, it's doctrines missed without a King James Bible. I'm not doing this message tonight so we can go and bash other people for having the wrong Bibles. So we can say, well, what version do you use? Oh, that one's wrong because of this and this and this, and that's just wicked. You need to throw that thing in the trash. This is horrible. We've got so much better than you. We're better than you because we've got the right book. You're wrong because you've got the wrong book. That's not why we're doing this tonight. Okay? Because let me be honest with you. I would rather them read... The Bible that they have now, with all the errors in it, with all the corruption that it has, I would rather them read the Bible that they have now than get turned away from the perfect Word of God because someone's beaten them up with the errors that they have in their Bible. Okay? I would rather them that the Lord deal with them with the version that they're using, and you know what? I, I want them to get hungry for the truth and to get into the Word of God and to, and to see and to desire it. Because if they get a desire for the Word of God, they're going to get an interest in it. And God's going to reveal things to them. And they're going to see there's problems here. There's verses missing here. There's, there's, something's going on. Something's wrong. What's going on? And if they seek the truth, if they get hungry for the truth, God's going to give them the truth. 
Okay, they'll, they'll find it. I, I, the reason for this message tonight is not so we can feel superior and snub our nose at them and say, ha, we're right, you're wrong. I've done that before. That doesn't pan out. That doesn't help anybody. Okay? The reason for the sermon here tonight is to let you understand what people without a King James Bible are missing out on because their book doesn't have it. It's because we, we can go up and we can try to fellowship with other believers, and it's okay to fellowship with people that don't go to this church. It, it's okay to talk Bible with people that have the wrong Bible. It's okay to, to converse with other parts of the body of Christ that are lacking. Okay, It's okay to, to talk to those sorts of people. But I want you to understand that whenever you talk to these people, because we like to bring up uh, the first thing we're going to be going over is the judgment seat of Christ, we like to bring up things and talk to them about certain things that we know about in the Bible because we study it and we go through it and things like that. And they look at you and they'd be like, what in the world are you talking about? So I want to give you some of the things not to avoid in conversation with them, but to take it with a grain of salt that if they don't have a King James Bible, they're not going to understand this. They might have not have ever been taught this and it's going to go way over their head. So just to let you know. So you don't get yourself in a bind, okay? Because their teachers and their preachers can't get it right if their book doesn't have it. Okay, so if they're going to a church that uses anything but the King James Bible, these are some things to keep in mind because they're not going to get taught it because their preachers don't know it. Their book doesn't say it. Okay, there's, there's problems and there's issues there. Because our Bible tells us, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. That's what the Bible says. Like I mentioned, turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These are good references to have. We're going to be turning because it's Sunday night, and I like to put you to work on Sunday night, keep you strong. You've got to do those Bible turn, turning drills and build up those arm muscles and stay strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Like I say, the, the first most important thing that you'll notice whenever you talk to somebody that doesn't have a King James Bible is they don't know anything about the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Bible says this, there's only two times that the term judgment seat of Christ is in your Bible. And we're going to go over both of them. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The judgment's coming, you know, you, you know all about it, we go over it often. You're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account to everything that you've done in this body, whether it was good or bad. You're going to explain to him, why did you do this? Why did you say that? Why did you behave this way? You knew better. Why did you do this? You know, and, and any unconfessed sin, any unrepented sin that you didn't already claim 1 John 1, 9 on and you didn't confess and get it cleansed up, you're going to give account for at the judgment seat of Christ. And the new versions, they actually have this one. They have 2 Corinthians 5.10. They call it the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? And listen, there's 450 new versions. I didn't check every one. I checked two. Okay? I, I checked the NIV and the ESV because those are the ones that are still somewhat dominant. NIV is dropping off because even the ones that use other Bible versions, they sit there and say, oh, everybody knows the NIV is bad. Okay, that's because it was in the spotlight. Get a new version in there, put it in the spotlight. It's going to be shown to be proved bad here in 10, 15, 20 years anyway. So it, if not sooner. But so whenever, I, and I'll give you some of the readings, but I, we're going to focus on the ESV and the NIV. Turn to Romans chapter 10. 
I know a lot of this is familiar, and I know that you know several of these, if not all of these, but it's good to keep this thing, these things in remembrance and just understand that if you talk to somebody that doesn't have a King James Bible, they don't know these things. Romans chapter 14, look at verse 10. Here's the other mention of the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 10, we'll do 10 through 12. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Notice here that they say Jesus Christ is God. He's going to give account of himself to God. But they specifically, the Bible specifically says the judgment seat of Christ. This is where we're going to be doing this. I'll tell you what the ESV says here. I, I cut and paste a lot of this stuff. And if you'll notice, I'm so super spiritual. The Bible I put in red. The other versions, I keep it in black. Okay, just, just so you know. That's where I stand. But the ESV says this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Verse 10. Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And I, I checked it with the NIV. And surprisingly, I didn't really find any differences in any of these references that, we, that we're going through between the NIV and the ESV. I'll mention different ones at different times, but they are pretty similar. But it says in the ESV, in, in all modern versions, it says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. You say, why is this important? Well, without the judgment seat of Christ in both passages, the reader is left to thinking that these are two different judgment seats or events. They'll say, oh, well, there's the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians, but there's the judgment seat of God in Romans. That must be two different things happening. Who knows, maybe two different times. I don't know. Either that or they think, oh, it's two different names for the same event. And they say, oh, you can call it judgment seat of God. You can call it judgment seat of Christ. You know, you can call it God's judgment seat, different things like that. And they're like, oh, it's, it's, it's all the same. And so what they do is they hear about a judgment seat and whenever they're, they're reading their Bibles and they say, it's all the same thing. It's all the same judgment. There's just one generic general judgment that everybody's going to have to go before whenever they die. And what they'll start thinking is they'll say, okay, that must be talking about the judgment as to whether or not you're in Christ, you've accepted Christ, or you have not accepted Christ. They get it confused with the great white throne judgment in Revelation. And so they think, okay, judgment's coming. My, my Bible's not real specific. It, it, it's using two different terms. Maybe it's the same. Maybe it's different. I, I don't know. But we know judgment's coming. And I've accepted Jesus Christ. So I'm going to be found innocent on all charges. I've been washed in the blood. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm fine. I've got my get out of hell free card. I've got my fire insurance. Everything, all the account stuff, Jesus paid it all. Well, he paid all for your salvation, but that's not the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment seat of Christ is for everything done in the body, whether it's good or bad. That's what we see. And since we have two verses that are saying the same title, giving credence to one another, they sit there and they, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they, uh, they, confirm, they, they confirm one another. 
Okay, they back each other up. They say, okay, since it's the same title given only twice in the Bible, but it's, it's the same exact title, you can tell they're, they're talking about the same situation, the same stipulation. And in both passages, Paul's talking about saved believers. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So we, we're, we're connecting some dots because of the words used here. Because it, it makes you start wondering, well, who would want the Christians ignorant of a judgment where they have to give an account before Jesus Christ? Because if, if, if their Bible's off, if they call it two different things, and they think there's just one generic judgment going on, and they think, hey, I'm covered, I'm safe, I've, I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, everything's good, fine, here we go. You know, I can do whatever I want, I could live however I want, I could listen to whatever music I want to, who cares how wicked the church becomes, all this and that, none of that matters because I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. But if their Bible says judgment seat of Christ, and you realize this is for saved believers, and you're given an account to everything that you say and do after salvation to Jesus Christ, then they say, I've got to worry about that judgment. I still have to deal with this. Jesus isn't going to stand up and say, Father, I paid it all. They're, they're, they, they can get into heaven now. Okay, this is standing before the nail-scarred hands and standing before Jesus and give an account to him for everything that we do. The only one that doesn't want you knowing about that's the devil. The devil says it doesn't matter how you live. Because don't worry, it doesn't matter. Judgment seat of Christ, oh, they're just nitpicking. God's judgment seat, it's the same thing. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about the coming judgment, which would affect your behavior now and your service to God now because of what's coming later. The thing is, I was 29 years old before I understood what the judgment seat of Christ was. Because it was 29, at 29 years of age, I got a King James Bible. Because I went to a church that showed me the difference and said, this is the word of God. And I sought the truth. And I said, okay, I said, first, first I said, they're full of it. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. Every version says the same thing, just different ways. And until I started getting hungry for the truth. Until I started saying, what's the big deal about this King James Bible issue? Is there, is there even a problem but once you get hungry for it, and once you start looking for it, God starts showing it to you. And you start, you start seeing these things, but it takes a good tree. It takes a pure source. Okay, if you want to get good fruit, you've got to go to a good tree. Turn to 2 Tim, Timothy chapter 2. Like I say, a lot of these are going to be very familiar But I'm trying to look at them in a different, different light here to get you prepared, not to use this as ammunition against people with modern versions, but to understand that when you're dealing with them, if they got a blank stare on their face and a blank look like, what in the world are you talking about? You can look at the spine of their Bible, and if it doesn't say KJV on it, you could say, oh, okay, I understand now. You know, maybe I shouldn't be so harsh on them on this, and maybe I shouldn't expect so much because of the source. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The ESV says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
NIV says basically the same thing, do your best and rightly handling the word of truth. You know, this is the only time in scripture that we are told to rightly divide. And it tells us, it tells us that for a reason. There's a reason the Bible says rightly dividing the word of truth. Because this, this shows us that there are divisions in the Bible. Okay, <laughs> a big one, Old Testament, New Testament. There's a division there. Okay, things were different in the Old Testament than they are in the New Testament. This, this t- teaches us things like dispensations. Okay, people did not get saved the same way in the Old Testament as they did in the New. You won't find anybody in the Old Testament looking forward to the cross. Okay, you won't find even the disciples looking forward to the cross. If they were, they would have celebrated Jesus Christ being on the cross, saying, ah, payment is here, finally, what we've been looking for. We get to see it, this is wonderful, we've been waiting for this our whole lives. And then they would have been sitting there, waiting at the tomb, waiting for the stone to be rolled back, and saying, ha ha, here it is, we've been waiting for this. They weren't waiting, they didn't know. They weren't looking forward to the cross, they were looking for a kingdom. They were looking for Jesus Christ to come to this earth and to set up his kingdom to rule and to reign. You look in the Old Testament, all you see is kingdom. We're looking forward to kingdom. Here comes the king. Here comes the king. Son of David, here he comes. Here comes the king. They weren't looking forward to the cross. The Bible says this, Luke 21, 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That's dispensations in your Bible. There's a time set aside for the Gentiles. We're in the time of the Gentiles right now. We're in the church age. We know this because we know to look for divisions in our Bible because the Bible tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. To divide something, you end up with more than what you had before. If you have a loaf of bread and you divide it in half, you have two pieces of bread. I mean, you've got to divide here to get... The, we, if you have divisions, there's, there's a dividing going on. You end up with more. The Bible tells us to divide it. it. That leads to dispensations, and we get to understand these things. The thing is, the new virgins, they admit in Luke 21, 24, that there's a time of the Gentiles. But they don't tell you in 2 Timothy 2.15 to rightly divide the word of truth. They, they just so happen to leave that out. I can still only think of one person that wants you to not know to rightly divide the word of truth because it'll, it'll lead to understanding. Because it, it, it never amazes me how much it, it was in Bible school before we really started going over. They just happened to be going over it there at church there. It wasn't even a Bible school class. It was a Sunday school class. And they were going over dispensations and they were showing divisions here and saying how it was different. They went over the, the seven different dispensations or eight or nine or however you want to split those hairs. But they started showing that, and you know what? The Bible just kind of opens up, and it's like, this makes a lot more sense now. Man, there's, who would have thought? There's not contradictions in the Bible. It's talking about different times associated with different people under a different dispensation. Wow, how about that? I'm glad my Bible didn't have heresy in it. It's my understanding that's lacking. Who would have thought? Also, 2 Timothy 2.15 also shows us that there are a right way and a wrong way to divide the Scriptures. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That lets me know there's a wrong way to divide the word of truth. This is helpful to know. You know, because if you, without this doctrine, to know that there are divisions in the Bible and to know that there's a right way to divide it and there's a wrong way to divide it, without this doctrine, you can come up with heresies like 
Old Testament salvation is the same as New Testament salvation. You can come up with heresies like the church replaces Israel. Well, the church doesn't replace Israel. Okay, because of the dispensations that we know of, the church age, the parenthetical time in which we now live, we know that God isn't dealing primarily with the Jews right now. We know that picks back up with the tribulation after we get raptured out of here. We know these divisions because of the Bible, because also 2 Timothy 2.15, the only time the Bible tells us to study, to show yourselves approved unto God. You know, no other Bible tells you to study at that point in time. I read to you the ESV and NIV reads the same way. It says, do your best. Why study? All you got to do is try hard. It's a participation ribbon. Everybody wins. How about that? We got that growing up. I said, look at this. I said, oh, what did I get this for? They said, for paying the dues and being on the team. I said, everybody got one? Yeah, everybody got one. Throw it in the trash. What do I want to keep that for? Everybody got one. I didn't earn it. I was just giving it to you. Do your best. Here we go. And that's what the new versions tell you to do. They don't tell you to study because if you study, you're going to find yourself approved unto God, a workman, because study is work, that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You learn all sorts of things whenever you study the Bible. Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I know we can go a lot deeper into each and every one of these. That's, that's not the purpose, and by no means are we going to look at every problem and every scripture messed up in the new versions, but I want you to understand that a lot of people, a lot of Christians that you deal with now, they don't study the Bible because their Bible doesn't tell them to study the Bible. Okay? They, they're told to do their best. Well, their best is showing up at church and listening to their preacher and taking his word for it. Well, he says the Greek word is this. Well, he's a nice guy. Well, he seems very smart. He's, got, he's very educated. He went to a lot of colleges and stuff like that. Got more degrees than a thermometer. So my best is to just do whatever he says and nod and say, he's smarter than me. I believe him. Okay, that's, that's what they think do their best is. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17. Once I get there, I can read it. 2 Corinthians two seventeen, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, we speak we in Christ. The Bible says we're not as many which corrupt the word of God. You know what the ESV says in this one? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. But as, of, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God and the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Their Bible left out that there's people out there that corrupt the word of God. Isn't that interesting? They said they, they're peddlers of God's word. NIV is going to sound a little familiar. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Now they say it's okay to, to peddle the word of God, but uh, we, we, we just don't do it for profit. There's profit to be made in new versions. They make a lot of money on those. You know who makes money on the King James Bible? Nobody. <laughs> you, they get paid. You say, well, I have, still have to pay for it. You're paying for the commentary. You're paying for the maps in the back. You're not paying for the word of God. That's, there, there, there's nothing... There's no royalties there that's going to anybody that wrote or put together the King James Bible. That's strictly a new version thing. Pedal, notice it, it, it come up in both these new versions. Pedal means to sell, you know, like a door-to-door -door salesman. Go up there like the Avon lady. And people that used to go door-to-door -door all the time and sell things. They'd come in with a suitcase and they'd sell vacuum cleaners and they'll sell Bibles and books and all these different things. They would pedal it. 
That's what these new versions are trying to warn you from. It's people trying to sell you the Word of God, trying to get you to buy Bibles. Now, the Bible says we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God. It lets us know that there are people out there that are trying to corrupt the Word of God. There were people trying to corrupt the Word of God in Paul's day. There were people trying to corrupt the Word of God in our day. It didn't stop back then. It just kept going and multiplying. As the Word of God went out, the corruptions also went out. And they said, no, yea, hath God said, no, that's, that's not really what this means. A better translation would be this. And the corruption started as the epistles are being written. Paul's writing the Word of God here and saying, we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God. That wasn't the end of 2 Corinthians. While he's writing Scripture... There are people over there corrupting Scripture, okay, even as it's being written. When you have a corrupt Bible, it doesn't tell you that there are many people out there that corrupt Bibles. Why? Because they're one of those people that are corrupting Bibles, okay? Most believe it's just a different way of saying the same thing. That's what I thought for years and years and years before I got my hands on the good tree that bears the good fruit. Something else that they like to, like to keep out. Like I say, they don't understand that there's a Bible issue. They don't understand that there's corruptions. They think it's this different ways to say the same thing because their Bible doesn't tell them that there's people out there that corrupt the Word of God. Their Bible doesn't tell them that God said that he's going to preserve his Word. Amen. Look at Psalms 12, verse 6 and 7. Also, familiar verses. Psalms 12, 6 and 7. But I'd like to like to let you know what some of these versions have and what they teach. So whenever you come across these people, not to beat them up, but to have understanding that they don't have a Bible that says this. They don't believe it because it's not in the Bible that they use. How are they going to understand without a teacher? How are they going to understand without the Word of God? Psalms 12, verse 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Those are the words of God. You can tell by the context. They say, oh, no, 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 that's talking about the people. No, it's talking about the words of God. Look at verse 1. Help, thou, uh, help Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful fa- fail from among the children of men. They speak vanities, everyone with a neighbor, with flattering lips. These are words we're talking about. And with a double heart, do they speak? You speak words. We're talking about words. Verse 3. And the Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said with our tongue, we will prevail our lips, our, our own, who is the Lord over us. For the oppression of the poor for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth. There's some more words. At him. The whole chapter is about words. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The what? The words that we've been talking about the whole chapter. The NIV says this. And the words of the Lord are flawless like silver purified in a crucible, whatever that is, like gold refined seven times, you, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked. What are they protecting? Who's he protecting? Is he keeping the words of God? No, it says, like gold refined seven times, you, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked. 
The ESV says this, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace of ground, uh, furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. Who's the us that he's guarding? Who, who's the people that he's guarding? He guard us from this generation forever. Who's the us? And who's he supposed to be guarding the us from? Was he guarding the Jews forever? He failed at the Holocaust. He failed at times like we saw this morning, the Assyrians coming over and taking Judah captive and, and pillaging them. There's several times in the Old Testament. I mean, the Jews have been under persecution for a long time. God did not protect them from that generation forever. God didn't keep the needy safe and protect us from the wicked forever from the wicked, whoever the us is again. The Bible's talking about the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, the words, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them, the words, his words, from this generation forever, which he did. He preserved it. He kept it. Most Christians today don't know that there's a Bible issue because their Bible doesn't have the scripture that lets us know that there's a Bible issue. Their Bible doesn't tell them that God's going to preserve his word forever. Their Bible says something about an us that God's going to keep safe or protect or guard or something from somebody from this generation forevermore, which he didn't do. Let me tell you this. Crooks don't like to warn you about their crimes. You say, why are these Bibles changing these verses that say God's going to preserve his word? that we're supposed to study his word, that there's right division in his words, because whenever a criminal goes to commit a crime, he doesn't call up the police and say, hey, by the way, I want to let you know that this jewelry store is about to be broken into because I like a challenge. So um, there, this jewelry store here on the corner of this street and this street is going to be broken into here in about five minutes, and then hang up and then go in and break into the store. No, he waits until it's dark. He waits until the light's out. He may even take out the light, the street lamp or whatever, and go in there over the, under the cover of darkness to commit his crimes. New Bible versions don't tell you that God's going to preserve his word and that there's right divisions in the word of God and to study the word of God because if you do, you're going to see the crimes committed against God. You're going to see how they change the word of God, that they are some of the ones who corrupt the word of God because the Bible warns us about that. So don't be surprised whenever whenever people that you talk to don't understand these things because their book doesn't tell them. And if their book doesn't tell them, their preacher's not going to tell them. They're not going to warn them. They're going to say, well, that's a different way to say the same thing. You say, well, those are just little things. You know, that's, that's just nitpicking. Let's move on to some big things. Turn to John chapter 7. I think the ones we went over already are big things. Those are doctrines that they completely omit and that you completely miss out on on new versions. But look at John 7. There's one that we talked about this morning. Yet again, it kind of dovetails in with this morning's message. John chapter 7, verse 8 is where we'll start. This Lord, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here. Go ye up unto the feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. That's the Lord speaking. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. Jesus said, there's a feast. 
I'm not going to go up there yet. You guys go on ahead. And so he stayed in Galilee. Verse 10. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Jesus said, you guys go on up. I'm not going to go up there yet. I'm going to stick around here in Galilee. And then after the disciples went up, Jesus said, okay, my time's going to come. I'm going to go up there secretly. Okay, no problem there. The new version say this. ESV said, uh, let me see, find my spot here. ESV said this in verse uh, 8. You go up to the feast. supposed to be Jesus talking here. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. There's something missing there. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to the feast. You guys go on up. But then Jesus turned around and went to the feast. Say what was missing. Little three-letter word. Three-little word that says yet, verse 8 in the Bible. Go ye up into this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. In the new versions, Jesus is lying. He says, you guys go on to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast. Then he waits, and then Jesus goes to the feast. He lied to him. He said, I'm not going to go. But in the King James Bible, he says, I go not up yet. He said, you go on up. I'll catch up with you guys later. I don't go up there yet. They take away that. You say, well, that's just one little word. That makes Jesus Christ a liar. That makes Jesus Christ a sinner. That's an important deal. They attack the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. You say, by a a three-letter word, just that little word? Yeah. That makes Jesus Christ a liar. And that makes him sinful, not sinless. And remember this morning, God doesn't accept sacrifices with blemishes. The reason Jesus Christ was able to pay for your sin is because he was sinless and he was perfect. If they have a Bible that sits there and makes Jesus Christ a sinner by saying, I'm not going up to that feast, and then he goes up to the feast, he's a liar, that makes him a sinner, then there's a problem. He's not the sinless Lamb of God anymore. He's a liar. You say, oh, they're preaching a different Jesus. Jesus has got problems in their book. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 5. They don't do it once, they do it twice, at least. I'm not going to sit there and read through and find all the problems in their books. but Matthew 5, 22. The Lord speaking again. He says this, he says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Notice he said that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Okay, here's what the new version say. Where are we at? Matthew 5, 22, the NAV says this, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, hooray, looky there, all inclusive, will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. They missed that little phrase in there, without a cause. That's the stipulation that the Lord said, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, then you're in danger of the judgment. NIV takes out that without a cause and says, if you're angry with a brother or a sister, 
then you're in danger of the judgment. That means don't ever get mad or angry with anybody. That means anger is a sin. If you get angry, you're a sinner. ESV says this, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whosoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You like that? The hell of fire. They're going to be getting a hell of fire for the being angry with their brother. These are the ones that are easier to read, right? But uh, the, both of those missed out the without a cause. So if you get angry for your brother for any reason, you're in danger of the judgment. Turn to Mark chapter 3. Let's see what happens if there was a, a problem. If there's a problem with that, leaving out without a cause. Mark 3, 5. Uh, let's start in verse 4. And he saith unto them, Jesus speaking, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. Verse 5, And when he, Jesus, had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Here we have Jesus Christ looking on the Pharisees in anger. He's mad about them because they're trying to trick them, they're trying to trap them and, and catch them in his words and things like that. So they're holding their peace, and he's asking them a question they're, they're not answering. So he looks about them, and he's getting mad at them, and he looks on them with anger. Well, there's no problem there in the King James Bible. He says, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. But in the new versions, which get this verse a lot closer to being right, Mark uh, 3, 5, they also say that Jesus looked on them with anger. The problem is, they've got a sinning Jesus in their Bible again, because they left without a cause out of Matthew. That's a big problem. That, that makes Jesus Christ a sinner again. There's a blemish on the spotless lamb that died for your sins. There's an issue there. That's a sacrifice unacceptable to God. You say, oh, they're preaching a different Jesus, every new Bible. No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, that they make, their versions are making Jesus Christ a sinner, and they're blemishing the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. That's an important doctrine of Scripture. And I understand that the new versions mention the sinless perfection of Christ, but then they give two examples in which Jesus sinned according to their own book. Okay, the doctrine gets weakened, and it gets contradictions, and they do have contradictions in their Bible. They do have errors and mistakes in their Bible. It's not the pure word of God that the Bible tells us about. It is one of those corruptions. You know what that is? That's evil fruit from a corrupt tree. Because let me tell you this, a book portrays its author. In the King James Bible, the author is the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Bible says this in John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, this is Jesus speaking, talking about the Holy Spirit, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Jesus said the Comforter is coming, that's the Holy Ghost. When he gets here, he's going to testify of me. The Holy Ghost wrote the Bible, okay? He was the inspiration, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that wrote this Bible. If it was the Bible, if it's the inspiration, if that's the author, if your author is the Holy Ghost, he's going to testify of Jesus Christ. 
He's not going to come up here and say Jesus was a sinner because he looked about them with anger. Okay, Jesus Christ is a sinner because he went up to a feast that he said he's not going up to. That's not the Holy Spirit speaking. Okay, that's a different author. There's a problem with that author. You've got to think which version is testifying honestly about Jesus Christ. You know, I, I know we've just been comparing two. I'm not going to compare the 450 different English versions, but the new versions are so similar because they come from the same editors. You track it all back, and you're going to find it from a couple of guys called Westcott and Hort. And we're not going to go over a deep study of Westcott and Hort, but I will, I will tell you a couple of things that they did believe. Westcott was a firm believer in Mary worship, and Hort claimed that Mary worship had a lot in common with Jesus' worship. Oh, you're worshiping Mary? That's about the same as worshiping Jesus. You know, that, that's good enough. Hort believed in keeping Roman Catholic sacraments. There's transubstantiation. That's got, you've got to eat the bread. That's the literal body of Christ. You've got to drink the wine. That fermented hooch is, turns literally into the blood of Jesus Christ. You've got to keep those things. You've got to be baptized. You, you've got to do this to earn your salvation. Hort believed in baptismal regeneration as taught in the Roman Catholic Church. Hort rejected the infallibility of Scripture. You know what Hort said? There's no good tree. A good tree produces good fruit. Hort says, no, there's not a good tree. There's, there's problems in every Scripture. There's no such thing as the infallibility of Scripture. You see where some of these doctrines get off? It's coming from their authors. Westcott and Hort, Hort both rejected the literal account of creation. They said, oh, Adam and Eve, that's just an allegory. That's not how we got here. Westcourt Westcott did not believe in the second coming of Christ. He didn't believe in the millennium, and he didn't believe in a literal heaven. Okay, these are figurative people that are dreamers. I don't know what they were smoking, but they didn't believe Scripture. They didn't believe it was perfect, and they're taking everything allegorically. Both men rejected the doctrine of a literal hell. That's why Mark 9.44 and Mark 9.46 are missing completely out in the new versions. So what do those verses say? Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Those are verses of Jesus Christ talking about a literal burning hell. Okay, <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses are happy that the new versions take that out. There's take it out too, I'm sure. Because they don't teach that there's a literal hell. I, I remember one time he was up in Enid whenever we were doing some straight preaching up there. We had this person come by in a real busy intersection holding up a big banner and stuff. And a, a Jehovah's Witness pulled up and this lady's screaming out of her car. And, and she's saying things like, that's not the God of the Bible. You know, there's, a loving God wouldn't send anybody to a burning hell. That's not a real place and, and everything. And she was railing on us and stuff because I, I think the, the poster that I was holding had something about hellfire on it or a picture of, of hell or, or something about judgment or hell or, or something going on there. And she was mad because her version says that hell isn't a real place of fire and torment because the people behind those versions didn't believe that hell was a literal place of fire and torment. So whenever they see verses that go against them, they say, well, let's take those out. That kind of hurts our motive here. We are not as many which corrupt the word of God. There's many of them that do it. Westcott and Hort, they both supported prayers for the dead in purgatory, another Roman Catholic teaching. Hort refused to believe in the Trinity, and he didn't believe in angels. Like I said, a book reflects its author. Most Christians don't know that their tree is corrupt and produces evil proof, evil fruit. The Bible went from something that is sure and steadfast and pure 
to something that is interpreted 450 different ways. Okay, today, these false prophets that push these new versions, and some of them, they don't even realize what they're doing. They've been taught that from their Bible school or from Dr. So-and-so or whatever. They just pick, they just pick whatever version they like best, or some of them, there's 450 of them, some of them have been written for the purpose of Let's leave this part out. If we change this wording, it would sound better. It would support our cause better. It'd make more people believe the way we believe. If we could just explain this scripture with a little bit of the twist on there that, you know, leave out a couple of words yet, you know, different things like that. Let's just twist it just a little bit. We can get people thinking our way. That's a problem. And so what the false prophets do is they, they'll pick a version that most lines up with their way of thinking or they'll write their own version. Let me give you an example of this. Turn to Leviticus chapter 1. I'm so happy whenever the Lord, the Lord showed me this one. I, I got to copy a lot of the other ones. But it, that's what's nice about hearing things like this. Maybe, just maybe, you'll, I'll, I'll hit on one and you'll be like, oh, I didn't know that one. Oh, okay, here we go. You know, And just get you a little bit more understanding about what these folks are missing out on. But let me give you an example of some of them just twisting the scripture, omitting some things to push their agenda. It's like we have a big news company, like all of them, that do that. You know, they'll, they'll give you half the story or some of the story, omit just a little bit to get you to feel their way. You know, oh, a black guy got shot by the police. <gasps> really? You don't say. He was unarmed. <gasps> Oh, that's horrible. They leave out the part that he was high on drugs. There was a warrant out for his arrest. He was trespassing, and he was going for a weapon inside the car. They leave all that stuff out. They say, there was a black guy, and these white cops shot him dead, and he didn't have a weapon. There's a spin on there. There's truth being omitted. There's, and they'll do that with the Word of God because it works everywhere else. Leviticus 1, look at verse 3. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd... Let him offer a male without blemish. See, looky there. There that is again. It's all throughout this Bible. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Huh. The Bible says you have your own voluntary will. You know, I I pick on the ESV. The Calvinist ESV says this. If he offer in Leviticus 1.3... If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. You know what's missing? His own voluntary will. Say, why is that? Free will is missing from the version that tells you that you don't have a free will. Calvinists say everything was predestinated before the foundations of the world. Everything that happens now, God forced it to happen. You know, it's happening because it's according to God's plan. The wicked are going to hell according to God's plan. He picked some to be saved because he just likes them better. And they're going to be saved whether they want to be or not. They say, you don't have any will. You're going to do what God has predestinated you to do. And so they say, we come across Leviticus 1.3 and we see, it says, of his own voluntary will. That hurts our doctrine that hurts our teaching we're writing our bible we're writing a version let's let's leave that out oh we got greek for that this is old testament hebrew they saw it and they said we can't work our way around that one let's let's pull out that own voluntary will 
because that hurts our teaching. You know, that's why so many of them, I've found out that they memorize catechisms instead of scripture. You say, what's catechism? Catechism is a summary of the principles of Christian religion in the form of questions and answers used for the instruction of Christians. So it's not scripture, but it's Q&A about Christian Bible stuff that will give you a general understanding of what we want to teach you. It's not scripture because scripture can change. Right? 450 different versions. We might not like this interpretation today. We might find a new manuscript that we like better, or we might hear Dr. So-and-so, he moved up the chain, so we're going to listen to him more. And so the scripture might change, but the catechism, our doctrine's not going to change regardless of what the word says, because we can change that. But our doctrine needs to stay consistent. There's a problem there. Have you ever noticed how close to the same that the different denominations used to be before the new versions come out? You come before 1881, whenever the revised version come out, and if you went to a Methodist church, you got salvation by grace through faith alone. You went over to a Presbyterian church, you got salvation by grace through faith alone. You went to a Baptist church, and we still got salvation by grace through faith alone. And there wasn't a whole lot of difference. You know, you can read some books by some of the old Methodists, like John Wesley. He's got some good stuff. Okay, he was a good preacher. He, he, had, he had good stuff, saw a, lot, saw a lot of souls saved. You know, he was good on the book because he had a good tree that produced good fruit. And the thing is, whenever everybody was going from the same source, from the good tree, they had good fruit even if some of their doctrine was messed up. Why? Because you can get good fruit from a good tree, but you cannot get good fruit from a corrupt tree. You want to know why the churches in America are in the shape they are in today? Because they've got corrupt trees, and that produces evil fruit. You say, oh, well, you know, I mean, as a matter of fact, we talk about the old-time preachers. What about Charles Spurgeon? You know, he was a Calvinist. You wouldn't know it if you hear a bunch of his preaching. You wouldn't know it if you read a lot of his books. He'll, he'll throw in a little bit of Calvinist stuff every now and then, but you know what he was? He, he was what we call a shelf Calvinist. He'd, he'd keep his Calvinism up on the shelf, and he'll say, I'll teach this every now and then, you know, whenever I want to get deep into the real truths or whatever. But then he'd put it on the shelf, and he'd come up here, and he'd preach, and he'd want to get souls saved, and he'd beg and plead with folks to get right with God and accept Jesus Christ. He didn't say, all you that are elect, get on up here, all, that, all of you that God didn't elect, you know, you stay there and you just go to hell the way he wants you to, and stuff like that. He didn't do any of that. He was preaching just as hard and just as right as, any, as John Wesley was or any Baptist preacher was or anything like that. He was preaching them, trying to reach them. He didn't think that God was going to stop and not choose some of these. He was still trying to persuade men like we're told to in the Bible. But every now and then he'd go over to the shelf, pick out his Calvinist book and say, by the way, the elect here and you know, go, go over some of that Calvinist stuff. But he didn't let Calvinism stop him from preaching the word. That's why we used to have so many great men of the faith, even from different denominations, because they had good tree bringing forth good fruit. Listen to this. I'm, I'm not saying that if you use a King James Bible that you're going to be right doctrinally on everything. You know, there's, there are plenty that, that use the King James Bible. They say they believe it. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But they're going to sit up there and they'll, they'll go around. I could, I could name some to you now that, that teach the replacement theology. Let's sit there and say, oh, God replaced Israel, or the church replaced Israel. 
and stuff like that. They use a King James Bible. Yeah, they still got that one wrong. Okay, I still remember a, a dead church that me and my wife visited one time. They, they had a King James Bible, and they was, they, 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 Bible Baptist Church, I think was the name of it, wherever it was. And, and you know, we, we went there, and they, they, they used a King James. Boy, they were dead, and dead as a doornail. We go to looking on the mission board, and they're, they're supporting women pastors or women missionaries. One of them, too, I go over there and look. And I was like, why don't they have a picture of their dog on their mission board? And I go over there and look, and it was to get support for the dog missionary. What the lady would do is she'd go over there, it was some lady, and she would put a gospel track on her dog's collar and then let the locals pet the dog and get a track. And you were supporting Bobo the dog or whatever his name was. You know, but they but they used the King James Bible. Yeah, but they were wrong on some things. What I'm saying is that it takes a good tree to bring forth good fruit. And a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. You need to have patience with these folks that don't have a King James Bible. Their book doesn't teach them many of the doctrines that we know. Many of the stuff that we go over. Judgment seat of Christ, that's going to go over their head. God preserved his word, my book doesn't say that. You know, they, they don't understand this stuff because they've got a corrupt tree and they don't know it. You know what you need to do? You need to pray for opportunities and for wisdom to show them some of these things. It's not so you can say, oh, I know everywhere where your book is wrong. Let me show you what the real Bible says. No. Pray and ask God for opportunities. He'll provide ways for you to do that and ways for you to show them if they're interested in knowing. They've got to want the truth. They've got to seek the truth, to want to find the truth. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 where we started. You know, the fact of the matter is, if they're seeking the truth honestly, God will show it to them. What you can do is give them an interest in knowing the truth. Not beat them up, show them how much bigger and stronger. I'm a much more mature Christian than you are. You've got a good tree and they've got a corrupt one. Okay, it's not going to work. Look at Matthew 7, verse 7. The Bible says this, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. You know what you've got to do? You don't have to sit there and show them every mistake in their Bible. You've got to give them the desire, the interest to go up to the Bible and start knocking and say, Where's, where is the truth? They're, they're different? You know, and just pray for God for wisdom on that. Because you don't want to sit there and turn them away from the Word of God. That's not going to be great. Oh, your book's wrong, my book's right. You're a jerk. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go back to my church. You know, I'm going to read my corrupt book. Pray for wisdom on it. You can run a lot of people away. But I wanted you to understand just some of the doctrines that you have to have a King James Bible to understand. Because it's good fruit. You get that good doctrine of fruit from the good tree. From the good source. Don't be surprised whenever their corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. Okay, let's go ahead and stop there tonight.